Hello there. Dave here. Just wanted to remind you that Tales from the Backlog is listener-supported via Patreon. Supported by cool people such as Chris Nelson and many more. If you would like to support, head on over to patreon.com slash realdavejackson and you will be my hero. All right, let's get to the show. Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where each week I bring in a guest to talk about a game we played. My guest today is a friend of the show, a Twitch streamer uh, streaming games and the like, and the 10th visionary, Morgan Remington, aka the Intergalactic Pinecone. Welcome, Morgan. Hello, I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I am Morgan Remington. I'm the captain of the fictional ship Intergalactic Pinecone, a variety <laughs> streamer. And uh, I love video games, which is why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so we are going to be talking about a video game today. Uh, we're going to be talking about Deathloop, which is an immersive sim roguelite developed by Arcane Studios and published by Bethesda for PS5 and PC originally in 2021. And before we get into Deathloop, uh, since it is a video game and Morgan, you claim to like video games, why don't you uh, tell the listeners what's going on over on the Intergalactic Pinecone? Well, it's a variety stream, but really, I find myself playing platformers a lot. Like, almost Mm -hmm. the vast majority of the time, if you come into my stream, I'm either on some Crash Bandicoot, some Spyro the Dragon, what have you, anything like that. Uh, I I think the reason why I like that kind of game so much is because I I do view it as the building block of all games. Something so um, simple and pure, something that anybody could understand looking just directly looking at the screen even if they're not somebody ingrained in the twitch culture and i think what really separates uh my stream our stream really my communities from a lot of the other stuff you might see on twitch is the passion of which we we talk about not only the art of gaming uh not only our memories and nostalgia of gaming but really distilling down what is the pure essence of of what we love about it what is so great about it and uh I think if you, you know, come come over to twitch.tv slash intergalactic pinecone, I think you're going to be really uh, interested and uh, titillated by what you see in here. It's <laughs> it's it's just a little bit more than the average stream. And I give a lot of my credit to my chat and my community for uh, sharing the same passions that I do. And I thank all of them. And I thank you for, you know, broadcasting me here to, uh, you know, expand the reach yeah, so like I um I don't watch a lot of Twitch streams and you usually stream while I'm asleep over here in Korea, but I do check out some of the highlights that you post uh, from your streams and I first of all, like I I like watching people play some of these platformers that I'm really terrible at. Like I'm I'm not very good at Donkey Kong Country and the way that I can the way that you just go through it with such ease and have a very like 
interesting and thoughtful conversation at the same time between you and the chat is really, really cool. And so like, actually, I heard you on your your old podcast um, first, and I was always like, well, I got to get Morgan on the show sometime because uh, number one, Morgan likes games. I like games. I like to have people that talk about games, but also I just think you're a very thoughtful person and uh, would love to uh, spend a few hours talking about a game with you. So good to have you, dude. And like we said, today we're going to be talking about Deathloop. Uh, So the spoiler policy for this episode, we are going to like, there are a lot of like revelations in this game that you get. So the story talk is we're just going to give the very basic story set up in the non-spoiler section of this episode. And then the spoiler section will also include like how you go about killing your targets, because this is a game where you have targets and the way you beat them all or the way you beat the game is to do all of the targets in one loop. So We're going to talk about that kind of strategy in the spoiler section too. Uh, But fear not, there are lots of revelations in this game. We will not spoil them until the spoiler wall, as most episodes of the show go. So we're going to start with our histories with Deathloop, what made us want to play it, and stuff like that. So Morgan, the guest always goes first. Why did you want to play Deathloop? Well, I purchased the PS5 really for not very good reasons. I thought it could help with content creation. And uh, I think, unfortunately, I discovered that was a gambit that didn't really pay off for me in particular, because Uh there wasn't a lot on the PS5 that really (laughs) captured my attention in a super big way. And I think that in the periphery, in the distance, I saw Deathloop specifically. Uh, You remember how leading up to Deathloop, there were so many trailers for this game and so many state of plays where they talked about this game. Mm-hmm. The way they kept going on and on about it, I kind of thought to myself, well, I played Miles Morales, I played Demon Souls. They're fun games, but I mean, it's not exactly pushing the innovation, the the reason why I would want a new machine. It's not exactly selling me. Maybe Deathloop could be that. And indeed, from the pre-release trailers, it does paint that picture, or at least I thought it did. Uh, but I have thoughts on that. But regardless, it was the promise of what could be. That drew me to Deathloop. And I did have a little bit of history with Arcane, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Yeah. So, like, the reason I wanted to play Deathloop is my history with Arcane. The two Dishonored games are some of my favorites. And Prey is, like, really one of my favorite games I've played in the last couple years. So, when Deathloop was announced, it was like, yes, automatically, whatever Arcane's putting out, I'm going to play it. Now, I, I'm not sure I feel that way about Redfall, which just got a trailer recently, because uh, I'm not a multiplayer guy. But an Arcane Studios single-player game is an automatic, like, Dave will play this, because I have such good experiences with their single-player games in the past. So it was like a... I didn't buy it right away, because when I first got my PS5, I was like, okay, got to play Demon Souls. That's priority number one. And then Deathloop eventually went on the wish list and eventually got into that. Oh, well, I'll just wait for a sale. And then it finally did go on a sale and I picked it up. I was also kind of like scared off by some reviews I watched, which were not so kind to it. And then when I started to remember like, hey, man, you're a real person. You can form your own opinions. You like Arcane. Give the game a shot. Um, I did. And that's a good kind of segue into some opening thoughts. And I'm glad I gave this game a shot because 
while this game is probably below the other arcane games I mentioned in my own personal rankings, I had a really good time with this. And the thing that I want to say straight out, which I want to give this game a lot of credit for, is this game broke me of my tendency in arcane, like immersive sims in general, of uh, just trying to be too quiet and when something fails, hit that quick load button. This game totally broke me of that uh, and made going loud to be the fun way to play this game. So that's my kind of opening thoughts. This game's fun. There's some things I don't like. We'll get into that later. But overall, fun game. What do you think, Morgan? I, I think that you hit on a lot of really important points, some very salient points that uh, actually are kind of revealing to me, too, because I kind of thought to myself listening to you, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. Whenever stealth got broken. Yeah, I just sort of went guns blazing. You're You're right about that, because something that I have a really bad habit of is not really sticking to the gameplay or, or rather sticking to the game plan too much. Right. Save mm-hmm. before the sneaking section, save before the sneaking section. It's something that's drilled into us. And with Deathloop, you're right. Giving it credit where credit is due, I think is really important because it, it says a lot about a game that can get you out of your comfort zone and go balls to the wall, really go yep. on the attack. And they do it in a way where you don't feel overly punished. They do it in a way that's fun and it feels fun to play. And even though I will also be leveling perhaps some contentious criticisms its way, ultimately, at the end of the day, what we're looking for is to have fun, I think. And I have a bad memory. It's just sort of like a part of me. I still remember a lot of this game, even though I played at release. I remember it very, very clearly as if it just happened. And I don't think a bad game would be able to have that effect on you. I think there is... I would also rank this in the lower scheme of things for Arcane for me. I think I'm very much like you. Prey for me is kind of the pinnacle. Prey is like this infinitely replayable thing. I can always go back to Prey. But Deathloop still affected me in a way, and I think it's it, it did leave its mark. And maybe history will be very kind to this. I know that there was some maybe pre, pre-release jitters, we'll say. People were giving this 10 out of 10s, claiming it really was the next revolution in gaming, and that automatically got people on guard. And so I think mm-hmm. that maybe people may not people may not have come into this with the best of intentions. People may not have come into this with the most open of minds. But um, you're right. Despite any negative things we say in this episode, there's still something very um, potent about this game. Something very memorable. Something very fun. Which is ultimately, to me, one of the most important factors in all of gaming. Is it fun? Is the game fun to play? And then in this case, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it is. Yeah. So let's get into Death Loop. We're going to get into what makes Deathloop um, kind of special. And the first thing I want to touch on, uh, it's not always the first thing you t- I touch on on this show, but I want to talk about the way this game looks and sounds, because that's going to be, I think, the first thing you notice in this game. This is a really stylish game. This extends from the way it looks 
This this goes to the music and the voice acting as well. So just uh, off the bat, it has this very, I want to say 1960s style. Now, I'm not too up to date on my decades and their respective styles, but uh, this does seem like kind of 60s, very orange, uh, lots of leather, stuff like that. It's a very colorful game, but there is a definite palette. And especially in like the menus and stuff like that, it's very, uh, yeah, very orange. I like the color orange. I like this color scheme a lot. Yeah, looks cool. You're right. It's 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 almost it's it's very arresting. It, as soon as you boot up the game, I think if you were to show this just to any layman that may not even like video games, it's it's very captivating in much the same way I think an animated film would be, you know, for somebody that didn't watch animated films. I, I think that that's what really got people excited a lot about this game uh, to begin with. And I think it's what perhaps may give more people in the future uh, a reason to get into this game, especially when it later launches on Game Pass on Xbox. There is something very evocative of uh, Team Fortress 2. There's something cartoon-esque, but also grounded in realism. And you're right, there's an over there's an overarching theme of this kind of retro style of, of the, the orange shades to everything, but it is a very colorful game. And I, I played with the pulse 3d Sony headset or whatever. You're right. Mm-hmm. The sound design also was just really impeccable. You could just, it was easy to become immersed in this and it was very easy due to the art style, due to the music to, to make this game kind of part of the routine. It was something that felt very comfortable. And it's something that I think really stands out amongst the pack um, um, amongst a lot of the other stuff on PS5 right now still. And it's a very interesting get for Sony in terms of exclusivity. And I I kind of wonder if in the long run how that will affect it. I, I wonder, I wish, I kind of wish that everybody at the very beginning had just had a chance to play this because I really am keen to know what everyone's perspective is on the art design and the music and just to, to see what kinds of new people can be brought in specifically because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you turn on the game, when you see some of those like little loading animations, those little splash screens, they look really cool. The character designs look cool. They look like cool people, I think. And then um, the music is really good. The music has kind of like this, like a lot of uh, the main track, which you're going to hear throughout this episode in a lot of different forms has kind of like this like spy movie feel to it. Uh, sounds very cool. And then uh, there's a lot of like more traditional like rock songs and like ballads and things like that that people have composed for this game. I enjoyed all of that music too. It really kind of, it, it's an interesting mix between like, this is a game about an artificially created time loop that is like, Obviously, this is happening in some far future where they have the technology to do something like that, but juxtaposed with that, like older, this older look and the way the music sounds and stuff like that, kind of Bioshocky in that way, uh, looks really cool, sounds great. It's a it's a really good and the voice acting too. Like you're gonna hear mostly the main characters, Colt and Juliana, uh, doing their voice acting. I think they both sound great. They did a good job. Uh, they're very entertaining characters, uh, the main two you're going to hear throughout the game. So that gets us into kind of the story of Deathloop. Uh, and you play as Colt, uh, Colt Vaughn, who uh, wakes up in a very striking cutscene at the beginning. Uh, you wake up and you are being brutally killed uh, by a woman named Juliana. 
Um, and you wake up again, you realize you're in a time loop. And one thing that's kind of interesting about this game as compared to other time loop games on the show, we've talked about Majora's Mask. Uh, there'll be an episode upcoming about the Outer Wilds. Um, one thing that's interesting about Deathloop is that all the characters know this is a time loop. Um, and so that kind of puts this in a different like moral focus than other time loop games where people are just living their life and not realizing they're in a time loop. Everyone in Deathloop knows it and they're taking advantage of it. So you're surrounded by you, Colt, and uh, Juliana, the other main character. There's a bunch of other people on this island and they're all there with the intent of like, well, in their minds, they're like, this is a time loop. Let's take advantage of that. And you can, you know, use your imagination kind of understand that most of these people are terrible people and that makes uh makes it a little bit more fun to go around uh brutalizing and terrorizing the island but yeah time loop game and i think what adds an extra little layer to all of that is that these are people that are accustomed to being killed by you repeatedly so there's <laughs> there's an there's an extra little layer of oh it's colt he's doing his shit again he's doing his, the same thing he always does he's going around killing us and it's the I guess it's that familiarity that's already baked into the game that there's because it starts with a a slight mystery to the player. You don't really know what's happening yet, but everyone else does. And it's like the context of of how they're treating you and how everyone is just. I I don't even think they're angry at you. I think they're really more annoyed at you (laughs) that you keep doing Mm -hmm. this. And so it it, it leads itself to the, the mystery setting. You know, it leads itself to to everything going on. And I think it does a really good job of kind of bringing the player in because there's a lot of information that you, 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 if you want to fully understand what's going on, there's a lot of information you must ingest. And so these tiny baby steps, just the simple setup at the beginning without like a dump of exposition, I think is a very effective means of, of getting new players situated, you know? Yeah. And as you go, so you get that information at the beginning that like Colt wants to break the loop and everyone else wants to protect the loop. And that's kind of what's going on for the whole game. And as you go, you do get more and more story, and it's very drip-fed to you. Um, As you walk, you'll notice this almost immediately, but as you walk around, you'll see writing in the air, on surfaces everywhere, um, and you'll find out like what that is. Uh, Juliana will be talking to you, giving you some story exposition. The other big characters, they call them the visionaries, uh, of which they are eight. Those are your big targets. You have to kill all of them in one loop. Um, and that's how you are going to break the loop. That was like even pre-release trailer stuff. That's not a spoiler there. But And then you get lots of audio logs in classic like Arcane Studios fashion. You get audio logs, you read letters and stuff like that around. There's all kinds of like drip-fed story, but a lot of that is like your reward for exploring around. So yeah, this game takes place on the island of uh, Black Reef. That's the name of the island. Um, you need to kill all eight visionaries in one run to break the loop. And each loop is broken up into these four time periods. And uh, so you have your, I think, what, morning, afternoon, I think evening, late afternoon. night. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, you have these time periods. Uh, so... What you do is you pick one of the four levels and you, um, you'll you move through these time periods. So you can do four kind of levels during the game. 
Um, you can also skip a time period if you want to, like if because the visionaries move uh, from time period to time period. So the bulk of what you're going to be doing uh, throughout this game is like trying to line up the perfect um, the perfect loop, trying to get all the visionaries in their places uh, so that you can go through these four time periods and kill them all, uh, which is is cool. I had a good time like going through and trying to kind of, number one, figure out what the visionaries are like, because they all have powers like in a Dishonored game, uh, basically. Find out what they're like. Uh, you learn a little bit about their stories, but also you need to figure out like, what's the best time to kill this person? Because maybe you go kill this person in the morning and you think that's good, but later on you'll realize like, oh, I actually needed that person to be somewhere else later in the day so that they can affect another visionary or like, I went and killed this visionary in the morning, but there's another visionary in a different level who's only available to kill in the morning. So I messed that up. And so you're kind of going through and slowly piecing this together. Uh, what did you think of this? Because this is like the bulk of like the trying to line up the perfect loop. That is basically the story in this game. I think I misunderstood or I thought that there was so a lot more degrees of freedom than there would ultimately end up being. Mm -hmm. This all sounds very good in theory, and this sounds like the evolution in the arcane studios game uh, game design that we thought it would be. But I think that it, it it only appears that way at the outset. The further you get into the game and the more that you unlock on the little board that they give you, they give you like a little evidence board where you can map out pretty like succinctly and very detailed exactly what's going to happen on which levels. There's really not a lot of mystery to it. You just... I, th I think even if you ran into this game, just smacked your head against a wall and didn't even really try to explore, eventually, due to just uncovering more clues in this evidence board, you would figure out what the perfect loop is. And it is a very easy to find set path. The initial discovery of that is is interesting and fun. And the 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 finding of each finding and executing each of the visionaries, that's where really the, the true customization can come in, because that can be done in a multitude of ways. But if we're talking about finding what that one perfect loop is, it seems pretty set in stone. It's more of just like a, a discovery, not only of like the existing systems around you, but just player knowledge. And I kind of wonder what a repeat playthrough would be like, like having all those optimizations in your head from the beginning. It, it seems as though it might take a little something away from it to just automatically know, well, you know, let's just go find the correct information we need. Or maybe that's like part of the appeal. Maybe that's like the speed running appeal of it, because I could see people beating this game knowing what to do in like a couple hours pretty easily. Like, I don't think it would take very long at all. Man, I'm glad you said that, because like, I totally agree. First, I was kind of worried at the beginning that this would be too complex to figure out by myself um, how to line up these characters for this perfect loop. But actually, the way it turned out is that you're be you're basically being handheld through the entire game. Um, you're base you're just completing a series of like main story quests to fill out this kind of like you said like a cork board of like what the visionaries are up to, where they go, and when. But at the end, there is only one solution, and that's. One of the biggest criticisms I think I would give of this game is that you don't actually have to learn anything. 
All you have to do is do the quests and it will tell you how to set up that perfect loop. And I think once you have all the information, you you may need to like internalize a little bit about like where the characters are in the levels and stuff like that or like what they're doing or what's the best way to execute them. That's the yeah, that's the only thing that like the game is not going to just straight up tell you, but the game will tell you how do I move this character from their level into another level? And then how do I, you know, manipulate this thing to make something else happen? These are all the result of main story quests that you're doing. And so, you know, main story quests with map markers and like descriptions telling you what to do. So you're not actually figuring this stuff out for yourself. And so I was worried on the complete opposite side of the spectrum that it would be too complex for me to figure out when in turn it, it ended up being way too handholdy to give me any sort of like, you know, good feelings that I did figure something out. I think there's a middle ground that would have been a lot more difficult for them to make. This would have been an extremely complex game for them to make, um, way more complex than Dishonored or Prey. Uh, this kind of middle ground I'm talking about. So like, I kind of understand why it didn't turn out to be that way, but it was a little bit of a letdown to basically just follow map markers throughout the entire game and end up with the final scenario all laid out for you, I think. I think the UI is, that's a good point you bring up. It's almost a character in itself in this game, the UI, because it's, <laughs> it's beautiful Right. And it follows the same, you know, art style as the game itself. It's all very nice mm -hmm. to look at, but there's a lot of it. There's a lot of looking at the UI. There's a lot of being told what to do, or where to go. There's a lot of reading. There's a lot of it's it's kind of like I, I have to imagine in the design of this game, maybe the game that we thought it was did exist at some point in a conceptual on a conceptual level. But maybe oh, for sure. Yeah, may, maybe it was through further playtesting. Maybe it was through just getting this thing in front of people that they realized we have to put this stuff in here. I feel as though yeah. maybe it was an obligation more than a pure, purely artistic choice, because I, th I think that's something that's, that's very fragile about games is how much do we put in because how much you are seeing in front of you in the screen and how much information you're taking in, that's all a balance that you have to achieve. And mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter how beautiful something is. If there's too much of it to parse, and it's the same thing even with some platformers, as in Deathloop. It can look good, it can be stylistic, it can have all this potential, but if there's so much clutter, if there's so much information, you have to kind of wonder, doesn't this maybe dilute it a little bit? And like you said, there is a there is a bit of a hand-holding, um, kind of a feeling that you get, where you begin to realize slowly it dawns on you, this really feels like it's on rails. I relish the time that I have uh, using my freedom and my powers to fight the individual visionaries. And those are the highlights of the game for me. But uh, this thing that existed, this abstract concept of what Deathloop was, it really is just in your imagination at the end of the day, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what you said earlier. Like, I, I really do think that the game that I thought this would be and that I was worried it would be, I do think that that was like the initial concept. Like I 100% believe that they wanted to let you creatively line up the final loop. And then 
Maybe it was too complex to program without a bunch of bugs. Uh, maybe they play tested a little bit and people were like, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do. Um, and they took away a little bit of freedom, took away a little bit of freedom until finally we ended up with what we are. I, I definitely think that that's, there's some truth in that uh, for sure. Um, so you're going through, you're doing these quests, you're lining up the perfect loop Um you still have to kill the visionaries. And I think that's where your freedom comes in because the visionaries are usually like, not like difficult to kill. There's a couple that are like legit difficult, but they're often heavily guarded or they are, uh, you know, yeah, they're either heavily guarded or they're very powerful or they have some thing going on with, cause the, like I said, they all have a kind of like superpower, like a dishonored power, one of them can go invisible. One of them can become like extremely powerful and resistant to damage, like like the Hulk or something like that. So you need to plan for like the visionary's power because they're all difficult in combat. But a lot of it is like puzzling out how to get to them in the first place because uh, a lot of them are in these fortified places um, and stuff like that. And I had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, like when you get to where a visionary is and you see they're in this building that is full of people, um, or like I said, there's one of them that's invisible. So how am I going to like, how am I going to kill someone who's invisible and stuff like that? That's where like the strategy and creativity and like planning fun of this game, like really shined. I think for me, I had a, a particular instance in mind where there's a character that's hiding in a uh, recording booth. Yeah. And <laughs> there's there's really, in the grand scheme of all the other visionaries, there's not a whole lot happening in this level, but I think it was just like all the different ways that you could enter and exit the building that really mm -hmm. stuck out to me and made it very fun for me because the first time I went through, you had to deposit your power-ups in there. You're not allowed with your power-ups in there, and they put like a little thing on your arm but you can find all sorts of ways to get around that. And then that's, that's really, then you can also mess with the security when you're inside of that place and you yep. can turn people against each other. That that's the highlight of the game. That was, I think the golden moment for me, that's when it really clicked. And I was like, yes, this is, this is starting to feel like prey. You know, now I'm feeling it. This feels like an arcade mm -hmm. game. Yeah. Arcane games have always had extremely good level design. Like if there is one thing that I can say that arcane studios does, on like an expert, expert level. It is, they make levels that are fun to explore. Um, if they put gimmicks in their levels, the gimmicks are fun, like the one you described where they take away your powers and stuff like that. Um, they're very dense. Like there's not often buildings that you can't enter. You can usually go through buildings. You can, you know, open stuff up, find clues, find uh, you know, little lore bits, um, or, you know, even if there's nothing like super interesting in a building, the way that the art design has played into it and like the, you know, the stuff they've put into those buildings are usually entertaining to see. Uh, so as you're going through the levels, you are experiencing like, I think the creative peak of this game, which is going through the levels, uh, and like, there are many, many routes through each level to the visionary that you're trying to uh, kill. I think maybe like the one you were talking about where you have to, the visionary is in this building and 
there are many, many entrances to that building. There's some where you have to play by their rules and give up your powers, and there's some that you don't. Um, and Arcane is just consistently giving you freedom to approach your target in several different ways. There's even one visionary I'm thinking of um, in the airplane where it looks like you're very limited in what you can do. And you are more limited in that one than some of the other ones. But you still have a lot of options because of just all of the systems in this game that work together. Um, So there's a lot of people in this kind of airplane hangar. You can kill all of them or you don't have to. Uh, And if you want to kill all of them, there's lots of different ways to do that. And so this is the like, I, I think this aside from the combat, we'll talk about the combat later. This is the fun of arcane games in general, and this is like one of the most fun parts of Deathloop, going through these levels, exploring, finding optimal routes, um, kind of mastering those routes as you return to these levels again and again, and then, yeah, being creative, because I can't think of anything in this game like on like a, a, you know, a zoomed in level, like how to kill this visionary or how to get through this part of the level where there's only one way to do it. There's, you always have options. And if that sounds like, I don't know, daunting or maybe even a little too cerebral, I think that there's still that you can you can still go rage gorilla mode. You can still just oh, go yeah. in there with the good yeah. guns and just kill. Like, I think that's also another strength of, of this game is that if you really don't care about exploration that much, if that's not your bag, you can just keep going through loops and amassing a more powerful arsenal. And you really can like like the the one we were just talking about where you have to give up your powers. If you've got the mm-hmm. guns and the skill and the aim, maybe that doesn't even matter to you. Walk through the front yeah. door and just go grab that visionary easily, <laughs> you know? And I think that it's really important that they do reward the brute force just as much as the stealth, because I think for some people, maybe stealth is like a dirty word where they just imagine the Skyrim days or, or you know, the, the other games, were the Deus Ex days, where it's a save, save load, save load, where you get this paranoia about you. And really, you mm-hmm. feel very freed from them. It's um, it's it's a very e- it's an easy experience to to immerse yourself in. I think due to the fact that you don't really ever feel like, well, I'm just screwed. You know, even if you're screwed, even if you put yourself in a disadvantageous situation for the first time, you're still getting very valuable intel that gets put on the evidence board, or you're still getting weapons that you can take with you. Really, mm-hmm. this is a game that rewards. Actually, and the more you think about it, the more I'm talking about it, the more I realize it rewards reckless abandon. There's really not a lot of consequence. I mean, you lose some stuff, but I mean, it's not a big deal. The knowledge that you gain is far more important. I think that's a strength. Yeah. And I think it's a good uh, transition to talk about this game as a, a roguelite. This is a roguelite, and like you said, you can go in kind of uh, reckless abandon uh, if you want to. And the worst that's going to happen is you die. And since this is a roguelite, uh, you're going to reset your loop. Um, 
your your loop resets at the end of each day if you go through all four time periods or if you die three times in one level. Uh, so Colt has this power uh, where he can revive uh, up to uh, three times, up to he revives up to two times uh, in one time period. So if you die two times in the morning and then you complete that level, you go to the next uh, time period, lunchtime or whatever it is, and then you can die three times again. It resets. Uh, so as a roguelite, this is a kind of weird one. It's kind of light on the rogue light, I think. Yeah. What you're doing is you're collecting a resource uh, throughout the levels. Um, you can absorb this resource called residuum from objects around the world or by killing visionaries, you get a bunch of uh, residuum. You use that to upgrade your, um, uh, no, you use the residuum to make things permanent between runs. Uh, your powers that you get, you start the game with no dishonored powers. You don't have your blink uh, in dishonored terms. Uh, you don't have any of those other powers. And there are uh, five of them uh, throughout the game. But those are temporary too, unless you, they call it infusing it in the game. You spend your resources to make them permanent. And the same goes for your guns. So if you pick up a really great gun and then you die, um, you, uh, you'll lose it. Uh, so you need to make it through a level and get back to your kind of like your between level uh, menu screen, which I didn't mention earlier in the show, but that menu screen is so busy. <laughs> There's so much on that screen that I was like legit a little bit overwhelmed by it the first time I saw it. But anyway, um, use your resource to make your guns permanent and make your uh, slabs permanent. Those give you your powers and uh, make kind of upgrades and like uh, there's a couple different types of like little small upgrades like think of it like putting on rings in an RPG making those permanent too and that's how your character gets more powerful because if you don't do this you'll start from the bare minimum at the beginning of every uh, every loop um, so wait Morgan do you play a lot of uh, roguelites um, if so how do you feel about this this as a roguelite I played and got the Platinum on Hades recently. Okay. I think that in terms of roguelites, the the balance that you're looking to achieve is the, 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 the delicate shift of power. Are, are you getting too much by throwing yourself into dangerous situations? Are you getting too little? Because there are situations in some games where it's like Returnal, I think, is a really good example. Returnal is the opposite spectrum Returnal is almost like the opposite kind of game as Deathloop, the more I think about it. Uh, Returnal is a roguelite. It's randomized. You get power-ups, but it's so sparingly. It's it's like you mm -hmm. really have to work for everything. And every small, it'll, li little itty-bitty thing you get in Returnal, it feels like it's just another part of your arsenal. You need it to survive, desperately cling on to something. Whereas Deathloop, it seems as though it's the other end of that power fantasy. There's really very little investment you need to make to make anything worth doing. And so the roguelite aspect of this game, it becomes just a minor nuisance. And then eventually the further you get into it, it's almost like not a consideration at all. Like it's, yeah. you become so powerful. You become so varied. Even if you, if you go into this game thinking that you have a certain play style in mind, it almost doesn't matter because you're going to get proficient in everything at once. And it really, yeah. it, it turns into a situation where you can, switch things out as you need them and you're not really giving anything up it's not like you're specializing in anything you're just 
switching out one super ultra upgraded, really powerful tool for another. You, you don't ever have to give things up, really. You yeah. just have to be smart about actually navigating that crazy menu and looking at it <laughs> and infusing. And I think that it's a good thing you bring up that menu because it's a little daunting at first. There's a lot to take in there. But once you finally do get a grip of it, you really start to understand how easy everything is even on the hardest difficulty everything is incredibly easy in this game especially if you go the stealth route which kind of breaks the game slightly in my opinion (laughs) well so this is kind of the experience i had so at the beginning when your stuff is not infused and you don't have any of the slabs uh, because you start the game with none of your dishonored slabs you have to kill visionaries to get those so at the beginning you are such a weak piece of shit. You, Dave, are such a weak piece of shit, Colt, um, that you have to play as, like, you have to play stealthy. Uh, Your guns are terrible. They jam all the time. Um, I found this to be super frustrating, and I was, like, not having fun uh, for the first, like, five hours of this game because... Your personal upgrades, uh, your kind of rings, as as I will call them, they're these tiny little, they look like little credit cards you pick up um, that, you know, some of them will give you extra health. Some of them will make you faster when you run, blah, yada, yada, yada. You don't really have many of those. And the ones you do pick up don't help very much. Uh, your guns are terrible. You don't have any powers. It. I didn't have a lot of fun because you can stealth around and the stealth is good. But the second the gunfighting starts, I was just getting just dumpstered over and over again uh, at the beginning because you're so weak. And then this game has a really weird power curve. Once you get a couple of those slabs, you almost automatically turn into Superman. You (laughs) almost can't die unless you're like just really bad at the game or something like that. And then the game continues for about 10 more hours. So like... It's a very uneven power curve. You are exactly as powerful at the end of the game as you are at like the 10 hour mark, uh, which is about halfway. This game took me about 20 hours to play. Um, You're more comfortable at the end of the game with the levels and stuff like that. So like by the end, and this is what I talked about in the opening segment, by the end, I felt like an ultra powerful badass kind of flying through these levels. Uh, Someone looking would say, I'm going with Reckless Abandon, which is kind of true, but also the enemy placements don't change. Um, The enemy placements are not randomized. They change during the time periods, but like if you go through the morning and up Dom two or three times, you know where the enemies are. You know what they're going to do. The enemies in this game are not very hard. They all just kind of run at you. They don't have any like strategy. I saw a clip of, um, oh, I can't remember, some YouTuber, uh, YouTube uh, essayist, um, kind of going into a building that had like 50 NPCs triggering the alarm and the NPCs just file out the the same door over and over, one at a time and shotgun, 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 over and over until all of them are dead. And I did that in one uh, level in this game where I got myself in a bad situation, but then I realized I can just hang out at the end of this hallway and the enemies will just kind of file in single file. Uh, So all of those things coupled together means that I really didn't 
have any challenge uh, aside from invasions, which we'll talk about later. I really didn't have any challenge in the back half of this game when at the beginning I was so frustrated by how hard it was. Did you have that experience at all? Um, not to toot my own horn, but I'm a freaking capital G gamer. Uh, okay. Capital G followed by a lowercase G. The two G's are combined. <laughs> I, I I dominated this game from the opening beginning hours okay. because the enemies just don't react to noise. I noticed they just don't react to noise. Even when you're stealthing, you can still be very, very, very cheeky with how you kill enemies. They can be looking at you in certain instances and you can still just kill them. The stealth is as is, is the stealth is is I, I want to say it's broken, but it's not the stealth itself that's broken. I really don't think it is. I think it all comes down to enemy AI. This is something mm-hmm. I was really disappointed with in this game because it's it's like that example you use guys filing through like a bad action movie waiting to get shot. It's mm-hmm. not only that, even if you were to go the conservative approach and go stealthy like you kind of have to at the beginning of the game. I mean, like these guys won't react to anything. I mean, you can get away with the craziest stealth kills with no powers. And imagine what happens when you get the invisibility upgrade. I mean, it's over at that point. The game slightly becomes a farce like you can do whatever you want. And maybe there is something to be said about like a game becoming a playground for player expression. There might be some fun to kind of eke out of that experience. But for me, this is where the tedium started to kick in. And like you said, there is a power curve that happens when you get the uh, the slabs. And for me, it made an easy game already turn into basically like watching a YouTube video. Like I was like, wow, there's really nothing to this, huh? And so I had to start really honing in and focusing on a lot more of the story beats and a lot more of the lore that they put at you. I had to really, really start focusing in on that a lot more to get any kind of enjoyment out of it. And I, I have to wonder what the impetus was for this decision. I wonder if the playtesting showed that they needed to make the power-ups so powerful because some of them get crazy. Even base mm-hmm. level, they are so good. They change the way, yeah. they transform the way that you play the game and interact with the world, but when you get the upgrades, it's kind of like you're cheating. I felt like I was cheating a lot of the times. And <laughs> I don't know, like, uh, where do you stand on that uh, whole idea of like a playground uh, uh, just made specially for the player versus like a real challenge because maybe this game wasn't even really trying to convey that challenge to me maybe it really was supposed to just be like slapping paint against a, a, a you know a, a, an empty canvas <laughs> how do you feel about that yeah i i really think they were trying to go for that like that power curve of like you start out super weak but then you you are a superhero by the end of the game i think that's a, what they're going for so they they got the beginning part I just, I kind of wish the guns didn't jam so much at the beginning. You start out with like really low level guns and they jam a bunch. And as you get better guns throughout the game, those don't jam anymore. You don't have to worry about that. But at the beginning, I really felt that kind of struggle. That was probably what they were intending, if I had to guess. I would assume that they wanted a power curve that was kind of consistent throughout the game where like when you're going for the last loop you feel like a superhero but i had already felt like that for about Mm -hmm. half of my playtime, and so that second half of the game when i've i'm just trying to get the perfect loop lined up and clear clean up some you know side quests that you're supposed to do i didn't really have any challenge from the enemies whatsoever the challenge was just 
uh, there was no challenge. I'm trying to think <laughs> of it. There was no challenge until the final loop. Um, so the power curve felt a little bit uneven. Uh, what you'll find like special guns throughout the level two that have special traits. Uh, you can you can slot in gun upgrades and stuff like that. All of those things need to be infused. But another thing that I noticed was by about the halfway point or like the two thirds point, I had infused everything that was good and I had more good things than I could equip into one loadout because you can only take two guns with you and you can only take two slabs. And so I had nothing to spend money on for like at least one third of this game, uh, which is kind of a should never happen to you in a roguelite. You want to always have stuff to spend money on and power up your character. I had, I was just infusing stuff at the end of the game for the sake of infusing stuff. Not because I was ever going to use it. Um, Some of the guns are really cool and I wanted to like keep them around. You know, they have cool paint jobs or whatever, but I wasn't going to use them. So it's kind of an odd curve in this game. Uh, But I, Again, I said at the beginning, I feel like a superhero. I had I had a good time running through the levels and like kind of just throwing caution to the wind, A because I know the levels really well, but B because my character is super powerful. It's a lot of fun to go through and just destroy these mobs of of uh, of enemies. And when you really get into strategy and like stealth AI and stuff like that, that's when you're going to start to notice like what you said, like the enemies themselves don't pose you any challenge. It's maybe you'll get ganged up on. Uh, the visionaries are hard though. So you do need to work to, uh, to kill them, but yeah, weird power curve. This game has a bunch of uh, different weapons for you. Um, there are several like weapon types. You'll get, uh, different kinds of, uh, pistols, uh, a shotgun, sniper rifle, stuff like that. There's also some creative things like there's a nail gun. It's going to be one of the first ones you pick up, which is really good for, uh, stealth. And there are some kind of special weapons that you'll, that you'll pick up. I think each of the visionaries has a unique weapon, uh, unique to them. And then there are some you can get from little side quests around the world. And then you have your five uh, slabs, which are your dishonored powers. So they're called shift, uh, which is kind of a teleport blink move. Uh, Nexus, which links enemies together. Uh, So if you kill one enemy, the other one will also die. Uh, Or if you choke them out, you don't have to kill them. Uh, There's carnesis, which is like a telekinesis force push, force grab type move. Um, there's Havoc, which turns you into the Hulk, and there is uh, Ether, which turns you invisible. So um, in my run, there are only about three of these that I ever used. Morgan, what about you? Did you have fun using these slabs, and which was your favorite? They're all good conceptually and on their own. If you had only one of them, I'm sure you could have a lot of fun. But oh, man. <laughs> in real life, yeah. And yeah, but the the thing is, is like once you get the ability to teleport and go invisible, there's really no reason to pick anything else. You might as well just do mm-hmm. that. I mean, it's the fastest way to... There there comes a point where you're so powerful, you realize that it's not worth the, the ammunition to kill all the mindless guys around you that you, you know, would expend. So what's, what's most efficient is to probably just teleport around them and then go invisible and then just crawl, wait for a cooldown, teleport around them. That's what I ended up doing the majority of the playthrough. There were a few times where I used Havoc, um, 
just because like it, it seemed like the path of least resistance to just walk up to an enemy. And it's very powerful in, indeed, but really, for the most part, teleport invisible, teleport invisible. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mostly rocked with uh, the teleporting shift and uh, Nexus um, because I think it's very fun to you'll you'll come up to a place that has like six or seven enemies just standing around and it's really fun to link them all together, shoot one from the nail gun and then they all drop dead or link them all together, kind of choke out one of them and they all go sleepy time. I had a really good time with that, and I, I traditionally really enjoy that power in Dishonored, too. Um, I used Ether sometimes, but your powers are linked to a magic meter, and I didn't use a lot of the like little upgrades, like the personal upgrades to increase your magic and stuff like that, uh, and that drains your magic pretty quickly. There is an upgrade, though, uh, that it's an upgrade for the slab. The slabs have upgrades, too. Uh, there's an upgrade for that one that stops your magic from draining if you're not moving. So you can just like turn it on, stand still, plan out what you're going to do as you're invisible. And that was really helpful. I never, ever used Carnesis, which is like the, the force grab, force throw. And I never used Havoc. The other ones are too good and too fun. And perhaps that's on me for not experimenting, but I never felt the need. Havoc is... If you are looking for an alternate playstyle on a on a on a replay through of the game, Havoc is a nice way to kind of complement the powerful guns that they give you because it really the more you power it up as well, it, it, it turns it kind of from a I guess a slightly thought provoking type of game into kind of like just a hard mode on a shooter, maybe. You know? I, I, mm -hmm. I think there's some merit to it, but overall, yeah. I did not use a lot of uh, diversity in my powers in this playthrough. <laughs> yeah. That being said, even though I say I didn't use a lot of the different powers and stuff like that, I had so much fun using the ones that I did use that like I think everyone else is going to have fun too. It's a it's a fun game to play. There is one other mechanic uh, to mention, major mechanic here, which are the invasions. And if you've played uh, Dark Souls, you know exactly what that means. Uh, but if you haven't, the way it works is uh, there's the other character, Juliana, uh, who you're talking to throughout the game. And Colt and Juliana kind of develop or continue this adversarial but flirty, but also they hate each other, but also they joke around uh, relationship throughout the game. And Juliana will invade your levels uh, from time to time. And if you're playing online, this will be another person, uh, a real person. And if you're playing offline, it will be a CPU. And so Morgan and I were talking about how easy this game is, especially at the end. This is the only thing that adds in challenge, especially if you're playing online and a human uh, comes into your game. Um, so you can also be Juliana. Uh, there's a, a menu at the, at the, you know, the top menu of the game to take Juliana's role and invade someone else's game. Well, I'll turn it over to you before I, uh, before I say my piece, Morgan, how did you engage with this uh, invasion mechanic? I have to say, I did not think I was going to use this at all, but <laughs> I think that there must be something about the type of player that this game, a game by Arcane, must attract. Maybe the type of gamer that doesn't play a lot of PvP, you know, maybe the more story based gamers that like lore the most, right? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I have to say, I felt like a shark in uh, fish-infested waters. When I went and played as Juliana, I was merciless. Everyone was a complete pushover because it kind of seemed like watching them, they didn't know how to move or they didn't really understand where they were or they didn't know where I was, even when I made my mm-hmm. presence clear. Like, it was very one-sided. I leveled up Juliana quite a bit, and she unlocks a lot of really powerful stuff to get super strong. Actually, in some respects, I think that invading in this game was some of the most fun I had in this game because of how many poor innocent cults I hunted down to, to extinction. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was really gratifying. On the other end of that, being invaded myself didn't happen too much. It only happened like two or three times. I feel as though I, I don't know if it's just like because I played during launch. It just seemed mm-hmm. like everybody was so fresh, like nobody really knew what was going on. The Julianas mm-hmm. I fought against didn't really seem to understand their moveset, so they were very they were easier to kill than the NPCs for me. But from what I've read now, apparently it's like nobody's playing this online. So like I, I wonder how many people would really get to experience this like a fresh launch day PvP arena filled with people invading you, you know? Yeah. So I played this very recently. Mm. Um, I did not play it at lunch. My experience was the people that invaded, like the real people, because I I left it online because I was curious. The people that invaded, the real people, were fucking experts, and it was (laughs) not fun. It was not fun. I hated it. Uh, Especially because at the beginning of this game, I already felt very underpowered uh, by what was going on. Like... I was dying constantly against the regular enemies at the beginning of the game, the ones that we said were pushovers. So the last thing I needed was some real person who plays Deathloop PvP all day to come in and fuck up my afternoon. So I switched it to offline uh, because I wasn't having any fun with that. And I traditionally, people who've listened to the Dark Souls episodes uh, of the show know, I don't like this mechanic. I don't like it in Dark Souls When someone invades me, I will kite them over to a cliff and then jump off and make sure I wasted their time. Uh, Or I will lay down in like a spread eagle uh, emote in Dark Souls and just let them kill me. But I I hate this. Um, When the CPU invaded, the CPU is obviously easier than people, but it was still challenging. And I had a couple of invasions that happened just at the worst possible time. And I was able to kill them, but if they had killed me, I would have been like mad, like mad, mad because it, if you die in like the night portion of the day and you have to go through and do all the shit in all the other time periods again, I would have been real mad. So, uh, I did not like this mechanic. I understand like conceptually that by the end of the game, especially the game is so easy that Arcane thought this would be a really fun uh, way to mix it up and introduce some unpredictability to it. And it sounds like you had a good experience with the mechanic too. So I'm not going to say that this is bad. I just personally, I'm so fucking tired of this mechanic. I'm tired of it in From Software games. And the last thing, like when I saw that this was going to be something in Deathloop, I was like, God damn it. Like, take anything else from from software except invasions because i play games single player i don't play pvp in games uh if if there is like a game that's only pvp like i don't play 
Apex Legends or Fortnite or any of these like really popular PvP games. I hate PvP. So like bringing PvP into a game that is supposed to be a single player experience fucking sucks for me. Now other people, Morgan, you had fun with it. I'm glad you had fun with it. Um, that's and I'm glad that I'm actually glad that you had fun and you're on the episode with me. Because if it were just me complaining about it, people would be like, oh, invasions sound terrible. But everyone, Morgan enjoyed it. So like you might have fun too. I'm just so fucking tired of this. And like, I'm glad that Elden Ring got rid of it. Mostly. Yeah. Before I get off on like a big thing. uh, Yeah. Invasions, not fun for me, but other people may enjoy it more than I did. I think perhaps in some ways this this was carelessly put into this game. I I will say. Of all the things to borrow from other games, this really does feel slightly out of left field. Really, the only thing you can say that this adds to the game is something thematic to the story. And in that case, if it is just something that affects the story, being hunted by Juliana, maybe that should have always just been um, a computer, an AI. Because the point of invasions in Dark Souls and what makes them so fun in Dark Souls is that they can only happen when you are embered or you have humanity which is a consumable item that you would use that purposefully puts you online. The advantage of being put online in a Dark Souls game is that people can guide you to the end. People can drop you items. People can beat all the enemies for you. It's a Mm -hmm. tremendous advantage. It's a tremendous advantage. And so the only recourse that the game has is to punish you by putting invasions in. But the invaders in Dark Souls, they, they have half of their Estus allotment. They don't, they, they're scaled down to your level. Like, right they're the invaders in all cases in the Souls games, besides like the first one, are at a severe disadvantage fighting you. And it does mm-hmm. not when I play as Juliana in this game, I don't feel like I'm at a disadvantage. I feel like I no. said a shark. I, <laughs> I feel like a shark in the water. Yeah, I invaded one time and uh, I felt so bad. Like I invaded one time just to see what it felt like. And I felt so bad because I was thinking like, oh, this person like. You know, this person's trying to do something in this game. And if I kill them, like if I send them to the beginning of the loop, they're going to have a bunch of like, they're going to have to just do the same things they already did, but do them over again. And it's going to be a big inconvenience. And I was thinking this while I was playing the game. So like that just tells you about like my gamer, like psychotype or whatever that like I'm not having fun playing the role of Juliana trying to protect the loop. I was just like, I'm going to see what this is like. And then I immediately was like, oh, uh, I'm sorry, sir. Uh, Please kill me. I'll I'll go back home. (laughs) (laughs) It just seems like maybe the risk reward, um, maybe it's place, maybe the place of PVP in this game was misguided from the very beginning because I think it only works thematically. It doesn't really work in terms of the, the gameplay. It's not in service of the game itself, in my opinion, especially since like from your experience, from what you're talking about, it sounds like you had a pretty rough go of it because you were fighting dudes that literally made Deathloop like their their full time job. You know, it's kind of crazy. I'm sure, what it seemed like. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to think that this game could garner that kind of uh, fervor. But you know what? There's people that take extreme pleasure from uh, from from doing that to others. So I, I guess I, I shouldn't be too surprised. <laughs> well, also full disclosure, like I'm not very good at shooters. If I have the option, I will play a shooter on easy mode because I'm just not very good at them. And I'm especially not good at PvP shooters. Uh, So 
even back in the day when I was playing more Halo and I was playing Call of Duty and stuff like that, I was never good. I was just kind of having fun passing the controller, drinking beers with my friends. Nowadays, I don't play a ton of shooters and I certainly don't play multiplayer shooters. So when I have to play an FPS against another person, not good for me. I'm almost certainly not going to have a great time. So yeah, I I don't know. I kind of disagree. I think that this mechanic does serve a purpose in the game to mix it up and give you some challenge, especially in the back half. I, I definitely think there's a purpose there. I just don't like it personally, uh, which is my own opinion. It's not really a comment on how it works, you know, critically in the game. Critically, I think it it's fine. It's a it's a cool idea. I personally am just very fucking sick of PvP invasions in single player games. I there is a cynical part of my brain that wonders if they only added this in to further justify a seventy dollar price tag. Well, you never know. I mean, it it does seem like it it does seem to me like this was part of the plan. Like this is part of the game. Maybe they added it in later if they if they kind of people play tested and they thought like, oh shit, this game is really easy after you get a couple of slabs. We need something to mix it up. Um, I'm I'm not sure what the the design process was. If it's even possible to add something this complicated in like later in development, I don't know. I do think it works like on a conceptual level though. Uh, just, just not fun for me. Uh, but that's the same as like invasions are a core part of Dark Souls games, and I've hated those ever since I played the first Dark Souls game ten years ago. So that'll get us into some final thoughts about Deathloop before we get into the spoiler time. Um, Morgan, final thoughts. What do you want people to know about Deathloop? Uh, who would you recommend this game to? I have a very particular friend in mind who is a lore hound, somebody okay. <laughs> that puts on the somebody that puts on the radio in Fallout and reads literally every terminal. Somebody that really cares about the story and the whole mythology behind the game's back backstory, behind every small individual detail. And it was those details I focused on, I think, the most in this game because I just wasn't very engaged by it. And I think it's really interesting how much work they put into this. There is so much to learn about this game and each individual personality of all the visionaries and why this is happening. And mm -hmm. it's a lot, man. Like, and a lot of it isn't even spoken. A lot of it is really just reading. And I think that's what really cemented. It was kind of like the nail in the coffin for the game for me. Like, well, this really wasn't for me through and through. Like, this was not a game that I could really see myself going back to or enjoying. But I, I think I get it. I think I get who this could be for. This could be for somebody that's not exactly looking for like the greatest like gaming challenge or anything like that, or really even um, a game that will like challenge their 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 imagination, a game that will open up that imagination for experimentation, because the game is a lot simpler in terms than you even think it is. The more you play it, I think that this game, the very most could be recommended for somebody that loves story, but especially story that's on the back burner story that you absorb through osmosis. And while that's not personally my cup of tea, I think there's a, definitely a subsection of gamers that would really 
be very gratified to to play that or to to get something out of that. That's who I think it's aimed for. Okay. First of all, I would recommend this to people who like Dishonored and Prey. Like, if you like those games for the level design and the creativity and how you can accomplish your goals, you can do that in this game in those like smaller decisions. How do I clear out this room of enemies or how do I get past this room of enemies? How do I kill this visionary who is fortified in this place? You have a lot of options for how to do that stuff. And if you enjoy the immersive sim style games where you can be creative in how you accomplish your tasks, I think you'll have fun with Deathloop. And if you're like me, who always played these games with the quick load button handy, especially that that's how I played Dishonored. And like, I love playing Dishonored. It's just like, I had a hard time accepting that I make a mistake and that I alert an entire room or something like that. Also, I think the combat in this game is like, it's better than in Dishonored. It's more fun to be in a firefight in this game than in Dishonored. So if you're like me and you just wish you could have more fun going loud in a game like Dishonored or Prey or something like that, play Deathloop because this game is a blast to just run full speed, slide. I forgot to say earlier, there's a kick button. You can just kick an enemy off a cliff. That's always a good time. Um, If you wanted an arcade game, arcane game that uh, encouraged you to go loud, shoot everybody, use your powers, be a force of destruction, then Deathloop is going to give you that. You're going to have fun. So do that. Enjoy it. Um, I personally did not really get into the story in this game as much as I did in Prey. Uh, I had a, like, I was always curious about the mystery. What's going on with this loop? How was it created? How would you break it? It's a, it's a very strong sci-fi system that they have this time loop. How do I break it? Um, I had fun kind of like thinking about that, but I was a little bit let down and just not interested in the story by the end. I was interested in the personal story with Colt and Juliana, but not with the sci-fi story of how the loop was created and stuff. I didn't really care at the end. So yeah, great time with the gameplay. Uh, as we said earlier, I was a little bit let down that this the the quest to kill all the visionaries in one loop really did not require any creativity or even intelligence on my part. It was just do the quests and the game will tell you how to kill them all in the same loop. That was a little bit disappointing. I feel like there's a little, a middle ground that was missed there. Uh, But again, big takeaway here. I have my gripes, but I did have fun playing the game, especially in the second half when I was like a superhero and I didn't have to worry. Did have that weird power curve though, where the first couple hours I was so frustrated having a bad time. Uh, So Yeah, it's an odd game. Um, So again, I would recommend this to people who, if what I've said sounds good, give this game a shot. It's probably going to be relatively cheap uh, from now on. It's going to go on subscription services at some point. Uh, So if if the game makes it to Game Pass or something, yeah, give it a shot. Like no question, because at the end of the day, it is fun to go loud and you get to experience Arcane Studios level design which is just still best in class. Like they nail making fun levels to explore. So yeah, very good. 
Uh, before we get into spoiler time, Morgan, why don't you tell people one more time, where can they find and or board the intergalactic pinecone? So I stream at 2.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time at twitch.tv slash intergalacticpinecone. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at askthepinecone. Um, mm-hmm. I always post new videos. I post a lot on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Um, I realize it's a big ask, you know, to come watch a stream for like three or four freaking hours. That's a big deal. So if you don't have time for that, go to any of my social media sites that are linked at my Twitter that are linked everywhere, really. And you can find a little, you know, a little bite-sized clip of the intergalactic pinecone, uh, whether that mm-hmm. be a 30 second clip, whether that be like a five minute, 20 minute video, whatever you have time for. I'm trying to really get all sorts of content out there for all sorts of people with different time constraints. So I'd highly appreciate it. Yeah. And I'll put links to uh, the Twitch channel and social media stuff down in the show notes so people can easily find the intergalactic pinecone. Once again, I recommend it. Uh, not only is it fun and relaxing to watch Morgan play some of these platformers, it is a uh, an interesting, like the discussions that go on in the streams are very interesting to me, very heartfelt and thoughtful. And then also a lot more, it's, it, this is not like a depressing channel. It's just sometimes you talk <laughs> about real stuff and sometimes you, you're having a good time joking around. Uh, I definitely recommend it. And as with, uh, you know, big Twitch communities can be very hit or miss. I think it all depends on the personality of the streamer and the kind of uh, community they're trying to cultivate. And I think that you have a very uh, nice, welcoming, and uh, fun community over on the Intergalactic Pinecone. So everyone check that out. For me, um, if you would like to support Tales from the Backlog, same thing that I usually say, hit subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, we'll have some a lot of uh, fun games in the uh, in the future here on the show. Hit subscribe and you won't miss it. Leave a rating and review on Apple uh, Spotify Podcast Addict. If you have enjoyed the show, I would appreciate that. You can also join the Tales from the Backlog Discord, where we have a lot of cool people talking about video games and uh, other subjects, of course, too. All of those links are down in the show notes. I also have another show called A Top 3 Podcast, where buddies and I do top three lists. Sometimes it's about video games. Uh, Most of the time, though, not video games. So if you want to hear me talk about literally anything else, that's the show, A Top 3 Podcast. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, it's spoiler time for Deathloop. Right, I'm back with Morgan. We're talking spoilers for Deathloop. And uh, I guess the first thing I want to ask you is uh, at what what point did you realize that like Colt is also a visionary? Because they don't tell you this at the beginning of the game. This is something that they'll tell you it way late in the game, but if you're astute, you should have re- you should realize this like pretty soon. Uh, throughout the game. So did you catch on to that? Yeah, there's, I think it's Juliana. It must be because she's the only one talking to you half the time. There's something right. that she keeps, <laughs> there's something she keeps repeating to you. It's either like, this is your fault or like, you're the one doing this. 
She's mm-hmm. very obstinate uh, regarding you. And I kept, she kept saying it with such uh, rapidity and such frequency that I was like, okay, this is me. I'm the guy. Watch, there's going to be a thing where I have to kill myself. I, yep. I called it immediately. He's like, okay, I get it. I'm the bad guy. You know, uh, it, it's they, I think they do telegraphic pretty obviously. Maybe some people didn't pick up on it, but I do think it must have been their intention for that to be like not a super shocking revelation, but maybe more like something you just want to keep on like the background radiation of your mind as you're playing, you know, like there is something a little bit more to what Cole is going through here. And he, 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 he puts up a front because of his lack of knowing of a situation. He puts up a front or, or I guess it's not a front he's putting up. He really honestly believes that he's trying to break free and that he doesn't know what's going on, but really this was all him to begin with. It was his fault. And, mm-hmm. uh, there's even something to be said about maybe he likes it, you know, maybe it's enjoyable for him the same way. It's enjoyable for the player to, to be doing all this craziness. Maybe it's enjoyable for Colt. <laughs> yeah. That plays into one of the endings and it's definitely enjoyable for Juliana uh, to be doing this. Uh, she's having a lot of fun. So like you, I don't know. I feel like you should pick up on this if you're thinking about what's going on in the story, because most of the visionaries have superpowers. They have slabs and Colt also has one, and none of the regular enemies have slabs. So if you're just thinking like, oh, I'm the other visionary. So if the only way to break the loop is to kill all the visionaries, I'm going to have to kill myself at the end of the game. So that was a cool realization that I had, um, and I got to it before the game told me. And that kind of puts this thing this kind of like specter, if you care about Colt at all, it puts the specter on the end of the game where like you, th- you kind of assume maybe you're going to have this like celebration because you broke the loop, but now you know it's going to end with you killing yourself if that's what you choose to do. So did you get into the story like in the game? Like, uh, cause there's all this story about Colt's backstory, how Colt was on the Island before there was a time loop going on there was another, there's like a second time loop in like the prehistory of this island, like before the current time loop. And I kind of, I got very lost and disinterested in like that backstory. I kind of thought it was cool when they tell you stuff about Colt, who Colt is, why he came to the island, his role in this. But like there was another science team and another time loop and stuff like that. And did you get into that? No, I... I think that's something I've discovered as I've streamed more and more games is exactly the kind of game that I'm into. And man, anything that really requires like a whole lot of digging or anything beyond the initial gameplay experience is really it's hard to impress upon me or make like give me an emotional reaction because I think we all play games for very different reasons. And at the beginning of the episode, I talked about the reasoning I had for playing this game. It was really about game design. And when I realized that the game design wasn't going to be what I thought it was, I felt very compelled to listen to the story because I was like, okay, this is all I'm going to get out of this. But I, I, I think very much like you, if I'm hearing you correctly, I disinterested, I think is the word that I would use because it's, it's not as if it's nothing that we've heard. We haven't heard before. It's just, I, I think that what works the best for me is the very, very interpersonal character moments between Colt and Juliana. But anything involving any kind of deeper lore or any kind of uh, mythology of what's happening here on the island, it's like it's hard for me to make an emotional connection with that and really care 
mm-hmm. too much. And I, th- I think it was very much the same with the ending. I, I don't know. Like, I, I it didn't really. I, it was one of those endings where I thought, oh, hmm. OK, whatever. I guess we're done, you know, and I, I, I'm not like trying to purposefully say like the game was not interesting or that the writing was not good. Uh, but for my gameplay style, for the person that I am, I got a lot more out of the very opening beginning portions when there was less known. And the more I learned, the more I didn't care, ironically. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. Aside from the developing relationship between Colt and Juliana, which I think is really good. Aside from that, the more I learned about the loop, the less satisfied I felt with the story of the loop. So I didn't even write down notes about stuff about the loop because I I don't really care. Uh, it, it wasn't <laughs> really a, an enjoyable part of the game for me. Uh, what was enjoyable, like I said, was Colt and Juliana. And so you start out the game. One of the early missions is to like go to Colt's old apartment. And I remember this like moment where you get one of those like text things on the uh you know the the words that show up in the air and stuff like that and they say like it says like uh you know she used to love this view and your automatic thought is like oh colt and juliana right they used to be a couple and i think colt assumes that too uh so uh those messages in the air are uh by the way from old versions of colt uh which is cool i think but yeah as you go uh, you realize that well, Colt and Juliana keep flirting. They, they, the flirting gets more and more intense uh, as the, the game goes along. And you think like, you know, maybe this is going to end with them, you know, falling in love or something like them. The Colt can't kill her. She's the last visionary, but he can't kill her because he's in love with her or something like that. Uh, but oops, uh, turns out that Juliana is Colt's daughter. Uh, so that is gross. And Colt is very grossed out by it too, which I thought was good. Like if you're going to give this kind of revelation in the game, I thought it was really good that Colt was like, Oh, Oh no, what the fuck? Like Ace Ventura at the end of pet detective, you know, doing the toilet plunger on his face and stuff like that. I, uh, that was a good revelation. It was a funny reaction from Colt and Juliana's like, what? I was just having fun. Like none of this shit matters. We're in a time loop, dude. Like, that was a uh, that was interesting, and then kind of the it it's recontextualized because of that. Because now you think uh, Colt's gonna have to kill his own daughter uh, to to complete the goal here. What did you think about their relationship? I uh, I like that twist. I like the twist that it's actually a daughter. It would have been way too on the nose if it was a, a a love interest. It was a good twist, and there's a lot of incest jokes on the way to finding out the revelation anyway. So like, there's a lot of stuff like. It, it's I guess if you don't like that kind of humor, it's whatever, but it, it's it's well done. And it, like you said, recontextualize. That's the important part. The emotional connection that you've had with her. Maybe the player was thinking it was going to be romantic feelings and that shift to daughter. Maybe that turns on like the dad mode kind of portion of your brain. where you are like, oh, wait, must protect, must help. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so it makes it maybe for some players, it makes it a little bit harder to to make that inevitable final decision because it's like. Well, it's one thing if it's a love interest, video game love interest, dime a dozen, but a dad and a daughter, a relationship of blood, that's very important. That's very powerful stuff. You know, it, it's a good way to really get the player to, to hone in and kind of focus up at the, at the very end. I just realized that this is yet another PlayStation dad game. 
along yeah. the likes of The Last of Us and God of War and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, I yeah, I really enjoyed how it, because the goal, you always knew you're going to have to kill the real Juliana. Another thing you find out is that the Julianas they're invading you are not really Juliana. They're kind of like projections of herself, and that's her power. So you know you're going to have to kill the real one in order to break the loop. And so you do have this like final confrontation with her that I was a little bit more hesitant to kill her than I would have been if it turned out that like she's Colt's ex-wife or something like that. Uh, so it was good. So you get this kind of a uh, situation where you're in this weird room looks like it's inside of a you know a crt tv or something like that it's, it's weird visual effects um and you each get a gun you point the guns at each other and you have the choice to uh, shoot juliana uh, or not so what did you do oh i shot her easy 100 yeah. you have to i mean even if it is your own daughter i'm video games are unique in this in the way that you have this tough decision but it's a video game. It doesn't matter. Just do it. See what happens. You know, she spent 15 hours talking a lot of shit. You don't just <laughs> she get, did. To, you don't get to do that without repercussion. I mean, yep. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you're making these checks. You gotta cash them eventually. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you shoot Juliana, uh, actually, if you don't shoot Juliana, this is the easiest ending. Uh, Colt and Juliana just kind of decide that the loop is fun and that they want to continue having fun together uh, in the loop. Uh, your dad and daughter team just wreck and shop for all eternity in the loop. Um, so that's what happens if you don't. And uh, I, I went back and I watched uh, all the endings. If you shoot uh, Juliana, you break the loop. Um, but what's weird is you wake up the next morning uh, and everything's real weird. Like things are not looking so good. And I did not realize this like throughout the game or like, I didn't think about this, but the Island has been stuck in a time loop, but the rest of the world is not. And this Island is not the only thing in the world. So you've broken the time loop, but suddenly you're in this far future. Like this loop has been going for a long time. And you wake up on the beach, except there's no water anymore. And the sky is this weird color. It's a really, uh, it's an incredible visual. If you, like, if you, if you're listening and you decided not to kill Juliana, go look up this ending and look at how this looks. Cause when it happened, I was like, oh, that's, I thought I won. Uh, that doesn't look good. And I love it when games do that. Very evocative of the Portal 2 ending, actually. <laughs> yeah. You, mm -hmm. you think you're safe, but you realize, oh, yeah, this is the Half-Life universe. Yeah. <laughs> bad, bad things are around the corner. I probably won't live long out here. It, yeah. it just, I think that what's most interesting about that ending is kind of like the promise of what would happen in a Death Loop 2. And I think almost assuredly there will be a Death Loop 2. I, I, there's, a lot of, there's a lot more questions, you know? And even though, like I said, I wasn't exactly like enraptured or enthralled with the freaking story here or anything, it wasn't exactly like my cup of tea, man. But still, there's an interesting premise. Like, well, what happens now? Where, what's going on? There's a further mystery that, much like the initial premise of this game, is actually very alluring. So if they did decide to 
further explore, you know, I think I might be down. I might be down. You know, why not? Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because if you pay attention and if you are able to recognize this, uh, neither of which I did, uh, but the guns that you get at the end of the game are the pistols from Dishonored. So this is in the same universe uh, as Dishonored. So if there is a Death Loop 2, uh, or if they're continuing this in the same universe or something like that, this is canonically the Dishonored universe just very far in the future, past the age of whale oil and stuff like that. So uh, kind of an interesting touch, um, even though it, it, I don't think it really changes anything for this game. Like knowing that it's in the Dishonored universe doesn't change anything for how this game works, but it is just a little Easter egg. Kind of cool, I think. So yeah, anything else about the story uh, before we talk about killing these visionaries? No, I'm ready to talk about murdering visionaries now. Yeah. Okay. So do you have any visionaries that you thought were particularly memorable or their levels or how you take them out stuff like that? The very, very last visionary really sticks out to me because I think it was really the perfect way to tie the whole game back together. Uh, you, you have to go through the perfect loop to beat the game. But the last visionary that you have to kill is by far the most, um, I think, in depth. And so it's like figuring out how to suss out one person out of a bunch wearing the same animal masks, the same party right. masks. Mm -hmm. That's really, it, it does feel like a very apropos way to finish this thing up. And uh, I don't know how you went about this, uh, but I went and poisoned the beer. I figured out what their yeah. favorite beer was and I went and I poisoned mm -hmm. that. And uh, I was able to very uh, easily kind of stealth my way in there by turning invisible and teleporting, going behind guards of listening for the information, going down to the beer taps, waiting for them to start, you know, showing signs of the crowd. And then I could engage. Um, that was really cool because I was reading different ways afterwards that I could have done it. And I guess I didn't even have to do that with the beer. I could have found them in the crowd myself without the poison beer, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I just, I, I bet you if I went on YouTube and watched a bunch of different like compilations, I bet you there'd be a lot of really cool different ways to get this guy. Yeah, there is. Uh, so another way you can do that is there's like a, a DJ kit uh, upstairs and there's a way you can find like uh, something about his favorite song. And uh, if you go up and you do the DJ thing, he'll isolate himself that way because he reacts to the song. Or maybe you're like, you start playing something and it's really bad. So he gets mad or something like that. Um, there's that. Uh, I know there's a there's a couple other ways, but I also did the beer way. That was how I did it um, in my game. Uh, but earlier when I was talking about getting myself cornered and just waiting for enemies to come in single file, uh, I somehow tripped the alarm and the entire party came into the beer cellar uh, where oh the God. kegs are. And uh, it was just, you know, pop, 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 <sighs> pop, pop. More people come death. in. Oh, it's Colt. Pop, 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 pop. <laughs> and literally like 10 minutes of that because there's like 100 people at the party. <laughs> so, I can only imagine what enraging all of those people. I don't even know what that would have looked like. That's crazy. Yeah. But you were still able to get them. Yeah. So that was the first That was the first run uh, when I was like getting his slab and figuring out stuff like that. Um, mm. In the final run, Juliana invaded during the party. And you have three visionaries at the party plus an invading Juliana. 
And earlier when I was talking about how I would have been really fucking mad if I got killed by Juliana, and I almost did, but I was able to kill her and uh, take out the visionaries there. Uh, but that was a just horrible timing for an invasion, uh, but it ended up working out okay. It was a very desperate thing. But again, it was this just dumb AI, uh, the way that I killed Juliana, because I escaped from the initial thing or I like I shot her a bunch and she backed off and then I went to a different part of the house and I just hear footsteps just do 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 running toward me and it's Juliana just barreling toward me and I just turned around shotgun and she's dead and it was just kind of an anticlimactic ending to this invasion because the AI is just programmed to just run in a straight line toward you yeah not not great there, not great timing. Like it's kind of cool again conceptually that I had the perfect loop lined up. I thought I knew everything. Suddenly something throws a wrench in the gears. I get that. But it just it yeah, I would have been so mad if I died and also <laughs> the way that I killed Juliana was just the AI letting her down as a character. <laughs> right. And how much does it really add if it's throwing a wrench in the works but they just basically present themselves, you know, open season. If it, you know, I, I wonder how much it really, in a way, it, it's almost like, oh, it kind of ruins the cool story that you would tell your friends. Cause this, this feels like a game where the, the more impactful story than the story itself is really the ones that you tell your friends when you talk about this game with others. What did you do during this boss? What did you do during that boss? You know, cause I, I also got invaded in that final level. And very much like you, I was in some tight corridors in the hallways inside these houses. I mean, there really wasn't anywhere for her to go. I just pull out the shot right. and you're done. I mean, it's very simple. Mm -hmm. I wonder what that, how, how could they have fixed that? How could they have not maybe fix is the wrong word. How could it have actually thrown a wrench in the works? Maybe if she directly interfered with your plans, maybe if it was something a little more scripted because the invasion style itself, I mean, it, it's, it's very different from a dark souls game where your movement is limited, where your options are limited. It's, it's in fact the inverse. Here, your options are essentially limitless. How could the AI, what kind of AI could they program that could stand a chance against you? You know, really, it's more of a minor road bump along the way. And at worst, a huge inconvenience, like if she had killed you there. I, I don't know, like if it it's it either just comes down to better AI or like maybe if Juliana invaded during the party, but she kind of just socialized with the other visionaries or something like that if she like you know went to the party and was just hanging out with one of the other visionaries talking to them and stuff like that so you have your plan for how you're going to kill you know uh one of the other visionaries but suddenly juliana's there and they're just you know chilling they're hanging out by the the human meat fountain that they have uh, in that party that would have been interesting and a different challenge to maybe try and separate them or take them on two on one or something like that. But it, it, it kind of just turned into chaos in mine and I had to escape. And then, yeah, like I said, she just kind of barreled toward me. So yeah. Um, let's see other favorite visionaries. Uh, I really enjoyed, uh, I think his name is Charlie, the one who's in the, um, the kind of fun house of horrors, uh, there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed that level a lot, like going through these these props and 
Uh, I like that level a lot because they have they have a bunch of enemies in there, but they also have a lot of cardboard cutouts that look like enemies, and it made me kind of paranoid about what was real and what was not. And I, I definitely shot a couple of those cardboard cutouts uh, before realizing it's not a real person. Um, I enjoyed that. Uh, and uh, I think her name's Wenji, the one who can duplicate herself. When I first went to her, she was the first visionary I killed. That was the first slab I got. Uh, so when I went there and I had to deal, because you kill her, she splits into two or there's no, there's already two. If you kill them, they keep splitting and stuff like that. And I was like, oh my God, where does this end? Like, how do I, how do I do this? Um, that was really fun. Uh, I enjoyed that one a lot. What was the, I can't remember which two it was. Isn't there a visionary where you can uh, do something with like love notes and you make them go into like a sewer kind of area and then you can yeah. flood them. Which one was mm -hmm. that? I don't re recall what that was. That is uh, Charlie, the guy from the the game, I think, and okay. Fia. Uh, Fia is the one who has the Havoc slab. And yeah. I thought that was interesting because you have to kind of wrangle them up together since I think they're at incongruent times where you wouldn't be able to like kill them both individually. So you right. have to start grouping them together. I thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah. And that's part of the perfect loop. Like you have to do that in the perfect loop uh, is get them together. But I liked, you know, you, they go into this like, yeah, like this, this water tower or something like that. Yeah. I enjoyed trying to figure out how to kill both of them at the same time. Um, I used that Nexus, which links them together and then just shot one of them in the head with a sniper rifle. Uh, but there is a way to just flood that tower uh, and they can die uh, in there. I yeah, that's what I did. Figure out how to do that. That's what I did because I remember I was escaping for my life. Like water was yeah. rising and I was like, oh God, <laughs> it was really, yep. it was actually one of the most fun parts of the game for me. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, I don't know, kind of weird because you can just die from water, uh, but you'll just revive and the visionaries will be dead uh, because oh. they died in the flood, but not the experience you had. Uh, so that's cool. Um, yeah. Let's see, other favorite. I so that that was cool because I didn't like Fia's regular location. She's in this like fortified kind of bunker, and there's like a nuclear reactor in there. Oh if yeah! She, if she catches you, she'll just kind of blow up the reactor, which, from a gameplay perspective, really sucks. Like failing stealth means you fail the entire loop. That sucks. Yeah, I almost mentioned her earlier, but I didn't. She's the one that gives you an instant game over screen. I think she's like the mm -hmm. only one that could do that, too. It's yep. interesting. That's where I really got the most mileage out of the invisibility. And there was something about getting symbols or something to turn off the thing or going through security gates. And there was actually yeah. that was it was quite in depth figuring out how to do that without the, the freaking missile go, being set off. I, I actually yeah. kind of enjoyed that. Um, it was a little bit more thought than I had put into the game, I think, up to that point. <laughs> Maybe I mean that may have been a concession because they realize how easy the game becomes, and they were like, "We need something to just slow people like Morgan down," you know? Yeah, and and also if you like are specking into to you know doing security stuff with like the the cameras or whatever, or with if you have the correct setup specifically for that, it, it becomes this almost like uh, kind of retracing your steps almost kind of like you've been here before a million times. And it's, it, it's not exactly like you're getting a thrill out of doing the same thing that you've done over and over collecting all the clues, but it's, 
there's a satisfaction that you get by doing it. And so that that one was one of the more satisfying visionary fights for me personally. Mm-hmm. Cuz I can imagine if I'd gone through all that just to shoot her with a shotgun, I, I don't I don't know. That would have felt a little deflating, wouldn't it? Just to to crawl through some grates or whatever and then yeah, here I am with a shotgun. And instead we yeah. get a little something a little extra something on top, a little bow tie on top. So I think the way that I killed her cuz I I killed her and then I figured out how to turn off the reactor. But by the time I figured that out, I didn't need to go back to her area ever again. So the way that I killed her was I stealth past the guards and stuff like that. She's like in this room and I had, I think it was an upgrade for your little hack tool where you can um, blow up uh, radios and she has a radio. So I blew up her radio, which doesn't kill her, but it takes her down to low health. And as she's freaking out, just open the door, shotgun blast, that killed her. And that felt really good to find out a solution to this problem of like when she spots you, instant game over. Seems like I really overcomplicated this game for myself. <laughs> well, I mean, turning off the reactor uh, was fun. I, I I liked figuring out how to turn off the reactor, but... It just so happened that I had already killed Fia. I didn't really need to do that. But I can imagine if she's alive and you have this really tense like feeling like if I get caught doing this, it's a game over. But, you know, you are doing something really delicate and involved. You're turning off a nuclear reactor. It would be a pretty cool feeling. Just As it turns out, that was my least favorite of the visionaries because it could give you a game over, which sucks. Don't like it. Yeah. Actually, the guy who turns invisible, he's probably my least favorite because I always found him, I think it's at nighttime, um, before the perfect loop. It's at nighttime and he's like just, he's like lost his mind. One of the things about the loop is that it's driving people crazy every time they, they come to. So by the end, he's lost his mind. His whole level is a minefield uh, he's ordered all of his people to leave and he's just invisible freaking out and <laughs> you have to go find him like kind of cool story wise. But in reality, it was just, there are no enemies. So all I have to do is not run over trip wires and then just go kill this invisible dude, which wasn't that hard. Any other visionaries worth, uh, worth talking about? I think that um, the concept of the visionaries themselves, the concept in this case, I think might have been better than the execution. Really, there's only a few standout moments from the game. And to be fair, they were very, it was very standout, like it made the game for me. But for the most part, I think that I just didn't find them to be very funny. I didn't find them to be like characters worth investing in anything into other than elaborate targets, you know, elaborate Mm -hmm. hitman-esque targets. I, I didn't really I wasn't super invested, so it was hard for me to um it was hard for me to get super excited about a lot of it. And really I started to get really I I started to get very meta towards the end. Like, okay, let me just I don't need to get this one right now because I'm doing something else, but let me just grab a couple extra, you know, bucks from their body. Let me let me get mm-hmm. a, a little bit more upgrades from them. I I just I, I think it's a system that's worth exploring and 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 maybe really delving into why it didn't really resonate with people like me, perhaps. I, I, I think there there could have been something more here. 
because for every instance where I had something cool like disabling a nuclear bomb or poisoning a beer tap, you know, you got guys you really do just go up and shoot. And if this was that kind of game where the gunplay was maybe, you know, a little bit more in depth and the shooting itself was more engaging, maybe that could be okay. But it wasn't. It, every every boss I think was supposed to be like a mini puzzle in a way. And for the most part, the puzzles were just not super engaging or interesting to me mm-hmm. because I, I I can't get out of this mindset. I just want to do things the most efficient way possible. And a lot of times, if you turn on Havoc and run in there, you're pretty much set. Like, you don't need to do a whole lot more <laughs> than that. True. And so I, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that is just one of the concessions you have to make when you when you do create so many options for a player, when you give them. Uh, like I alluded to earlier, a canvas to paint on. Maybe it's just uh, an indictment of like maybe my own creativity or maybe uh, me making the game unfun for myself. I really don't know. And I think that that's why as a whole, Deathloop was kind of an interesting game for me to talk about and discuss. Back when I used to podcast, I wanted to cover this game the day it came out because I beat it very quickly. And I found in the middle of my recording that it was just... um not a very engaging game to talk about. And I was really perplexed because I had not been stumped like that before with any game. <laughs> and I don't want to go onto a podcast and just tell people, yeah, it's shit because that, if, if that's almost betraying the expectation of what a podcast is of really getting into the really fine detail of, of something, you know, exploring it more than you could in a YouTube video or what have you. But I think that what I discovered instead in a game like Deathloop is it, kind of a, a re-examination of myself as a gamer and kind of realizing it's okay to like criticize something that people are giving a 10 out of 10, as long as you're just understanding what it is about yourself and your gaming identity that you're not really connecting with and resonating with, because I'm sure it must be a slap in the face to some people listening who really connected with this game deeply to hear some guy, you know, in a very pithy tone, maybe almost <laughs> with a throwaway line saying, yeah, the story didn't really do it for me, dude. You know, it, it, it's it sucks when you hear somebody saying that it, it's never a good feeling. But I, I I think that the what I gained from playing this game, what I gained from investing so much time and energy into it was a better understanding of myself. And I think this is one of those rare games that can kind of serve as a litmus test. If you're ever wondering what kind of a gamer you are, I think that this game uh, is very revelatory and at the very least in those terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of different kind of aspects of like video games going on here. You got your, your creativity, like you're approaching situations in the way that you want to approach them. Like you said, dude, there's so much lore and like hidden story that you can go seek out. Um, and you're going to find a lot of that stuff. Like the problem is, me as a gamer, and this goes the same in the From Software games that do this kind of the same way that gives you story and lore, like very piecemeal throughout the game. I just don't connect with stories that are told that way. So the parts that were told most directly in this game, Colt and Juliana talking to each other, that's the part I connected with. The Because there is actually very cool detail with a lot of the visionaries, the people that hang out with them, um, the kind of vices that these visionaries are giving into, because this is a time loop. No one gives a shit. You, they literally succumb to all of their worst impulses 
uh, on this island because it's a time loop. Nothing matters. Um, but like that story, that stuff, even like I've heard other people explain it and discuss it and it's very cool, but I didn't connect with that because it's not told in a very direct way. And the way that this game presents it is just not in a way that connects with me personally. So that's why I haven't really talked about that stuff in the spoiler section here. And I'm not going to, because what I took away from other podcasts and other videos talking about that stuff, it lives in my head now as a like, yes, there is cool stuff there, but I don't remember it because I didn't discover it for myself and I didn't write it down in my notes because it is kind of an, an evolving mission on this podcast to not explain the story to you unless the story really affected me. Uh, because at the end of the day, what I want this to be is us sharing experiences with the game. So Morgan, you and I didn't really connect with those fine details of the story. So we're just not going to talk about them. There is cool information there, I think. Like if you watch a video of people talking about um, the visionaries, their backstories, their relationship to the island, their relationships with each other are actually, uh, everyone has relationships like that too. There's cool stuff there, but it, it was not part of my experience playing the game. So I'm just going to leave it there uh, for this episode of the show. Uh, but there is cool stuff there. Colt and Juliana is really the heart of this game though. And I, I really did enjoy that. It's it, Plus it's, it's better to be true to yourself anyway. I think that it would be a disservice to anyone listening if, if we were to try to to do a bunch of research and pontificate over every little detail. I mean, if it didn't affect you, if it didn't seep into you, into your heart and soul, it's like, I mean, it's not even really worth mentioning, you know, it, it would be better to tell the truth, even if it is an uncomfortable truth than it would be uh, to try to pretend like there's this big, huge engaging thing that you just are over the moon about, you know, it's better to be yeah. truthful in these cases. hundred percent. And if you're, if you're listening and you want, that detail because I promise it is there. If you want that, there are lots of people on YouTube and lots of podcasters who've done shows about Deathloop and really gotten into that detail in a fun and engaging way. But that's just, you know, it's just not going to happen on this episode because it, it was not part of my uh, big takeaways from playing this game. Uh, but yeah, it's a fun game though. And just to kind of, kind of sum it all up, I guess, I had fun. The gameplay of Deathloop was fun, uh, especially after that initial frustrating period when you have just the worst guns and you have no powers and stuff like that. Uh, I had a lot of fun playing this and it kind of snowballed to like where at the beginning I was not having a ton of fun. So I would play maybe like, you know, 30 minutes, like one time period per play session. And then the time when I beat the game, the play session where I beat the game, I played for like three hours because I was just having a bunch of fun going through just destroying people in the levels. I know exactly what to do. I have like total mastery over the levels and I had a good time and then um, got that final loop. Did the final loop take you more than one try? No, I got it the first one. Yeah, same here. Almost got fucked up by Juliana uh, <laughs> in the last level, but I got it the first try, which is good. I would have been kind of annoyed if I would have had to go through all the steps uh, and do that perfect loop thing more than one time. 
So what do we say we wrap this up, dude? Yeah. Been a good time. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. It's uh, been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, I really appreciate it. I've long been trying to talk about Deathloop, but even on my own stream, when people ask me about Deathloop, it's always been a bit of a sore topic for me because I don't exactly know how to approach it. And I think <laughs> having somebody else um, so eloquently put it all the way that you did really helped. Uh, it really helped me kind of eke it out of my system. Like this is, you know how when you're doing any creative endeavor, you got one in the chamber and you're freaking ready to just like load that thing up. I've been thinking mm -hmm. about Deathloop ever since I beat it because I never got to do anything with it. And I've been thinking about it and it's been living in my head rent free. So I needed to get this out of my system. And like, like, you know, like we said, not bad. Certainly not bad. Yeah. Nothing low quality, nothing heinous about it. Nothing that screams like bargain bin. Just perhaps mismanaged expectations on my part or maybe misunderstanding on my part of what this was. Um, and also I think a little bit of self-discovery, a little bit of finding out um, what kind of games that we enjoy. And I think that for all those things that Deathloop has done for me, um, I'm very gra grateful to have played it. And if you do find the opportunity in the future to have this at, at, a, at a cheap price, certainly worth the, the money and the time investment, which is minimal, like 15 hours, 20 hours. It's right. very small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... This is an interesting game. This game takes a lot of swings. Like it, it takes the arcane formula, but it, it adds in a lot of stuff that arcane hasn't done before. And a lot of game systems that have not traditionally uh, merged together, immersive sim, roguelite, invasion mechanics, stuff like those are not, I mean, a roguelite immersive sim is ridiculous because the amount of care you have to put into making an immersive sim um, and then to put on roguelite stuff on top of that is just something that like roguelites are traditionally have traditionally been kind of an indie endeavor which is the opposite of what immersive sims uh, are i think indie people now are starting to make immersive sims i've heard rumblings about you know kind of deus ex likes that uh indie people are making i'm super excited to see what can come of that but from a triple a thing like arcane um to see the result of this it's very interesting and so yeah we've had a lot of like interesting stuff to talk about here and some hits some misses for sure but overall yeah i had a good time uh, playing the game and i had a good time discussing it with you morgan i couldn't think of anyone better to talk about it with so once again thanks for coming on highly appreciate it thank you for having me yeah everybody else uh yeah same things we said before subscribe um rating and review if you enjoyed the episode join the tales from the backlog discord but most importantly hop on board the intergalactic pinecone for some twitch streaming goodness and tune in next week for the next game that comes out of the backlog <laughs>